Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 11. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am extremely excited to introduce my special guest today, Steve Anderson. Steve, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely, Mark. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Steve has been an avid car nut since childhood and at a very early age decided to pursue a career in car design. He's one of the lucky ones that knew what he wanted to do. He attended Art Center College of Design and worked with Volkswagen, Nissan, and the Advanced Design Group at General Motors. Steve was on the team that created the new Beetle, Nissan's Z and Titan pickup trucks, and more recently was involved with the EcoJet supercar for the Big Dog Garage, Jay Leno. In 1996, Steve started an automotive illustration practice where enthusiasts send photos and information about their special cars, and Steve creates a custom illustration memorializing their prized automobile. The process is fully customizable to the individual's owner's specifications, and Steve will turn your car, your ride, into a lifelong framed treasure. Steve's illustrational work can be seen on the pages of Excellence and Forza magazines, both of which feature his work as a staff illustrator. You can see more of Steve's beautiful work at saillustrations.com. If you have a hard-to-buy-for automotive enthusiast, this is the perfect gift. I've purchased many of Steve's creations. Some of them are hanging on my walls right here. I'm looking at them, and I've given many to friends that'll tell you it's the best gift they've ever received. So, Steve, I've told our listeners a little about you, so please take a few moments and share a little bit about your history, your business, your interests, and passion for automobiles. Sure, absolutely. Um, I, as you had mentioned, have been a lifelong avid car enthusiast, and and really a lot of it I would credit to influences like my grandfather, who here in Southern California would drag me to things like Ontario Motor Speedway to see Don Garlitz and to see the Winston Cup cars run, and then over to Riverside back in the day when it was open to see the the shadow cars competing in the Can-Am series and even down to Long Beach because it, in that era they were running Grand Prix. So lots of those those sort of things that could probably be better unlocked by some therapist, but just in my mind kind of very formative years. Um, as you had mentioned, I, I grew up at a very early age kind of figuring out what I wanted to do and um, – I was in the city of Pasadena, California, which is home to Art Center College of Design. And once I sort of figured out what they did, and it meshed with my my love of creating art and my love of cars, uh, that was the road that I I chose. From there, it's just, it's been a fantastic journey um, to be involved in. The production design process and the advanced design process for so many of the the world's automakers and to have participated in the new Beetle, which was, you know, uh, a fundamentally industry-shifting product and, and to, to be able to show that to my kids. And my mom drives one now and my, my daughter can't wait to get one of her own. So it's, it's kind of a neat 
uh, a legacy, I suppose. And then the illustration business just sort of grew naturally from my, it wasn't that I was unhappy with what I was doing, but I also enjoyed older cars just as much and drew a lot of inspiration from them and just, just sort of found this little hobby that became a niche and, and worked into a, a you know fairly well-sustaining business of its own. So the segue into the illustration side of things was very natural and, and worked out quite nicely. Well, you really are living what many kids have as a, as a childhood dream in your adulthood because how many kids were caught sitting in the back of class drawing pictures of cars when the teacher was trying to teach them something and Close that book, Stephen. What do you pay attention to me? And so you've really taken that into your life, and that that's really commendable and and incredibly exciting. And to be sitting here talking to a guy that had a hand in bringing back that iconic Beetle is pretty fantastic. And having worked with the likes of the car crazy like Jay Leno, and of course at General Motors now, you you really have a have had a dream career. So I really appreciate you you sharing that with us. We like to start the wheels turning here at Cars Yeah with a success quote, something that really means something to you that you've utilized into your life. So take the wheel, Steve, and share your success quote with us. Yeah, the the quote, and I, I have to admit, I'm I'm not one to to sort of hang one around my neck for long periods of time. So the the most recent one that's really got my juices going and, and inspires me is one by a, a designer and architect named Atori Satsas, who, um, as, as many design enthusiasts would know, is, is one of the fundamental pioneers of the craft. And um, he was quoted as saying, if it doesn't have to do with love, I'm not interested. And I thought, that is so absolutely succinct, and it applies in such a, a wide variety of endeavor. And it's basically an approach to life, not just a career or, or a job, for instance, but um, really can be a, a broad stroke to, um, you know, kind of level set yourself. So, yeah, if it doesn't have to do with love, I'm not interested. Atori Sats has just basically summed it up. And that is something, you know, in the back of my mind every time, you know, regardless of what I'm involved in or doing, I, I try and measure it up to that. And it, it's a high bar. That's a great quote, and it's it's all about passion, and that's really what what we're up to here at Cars Yeah is inspiring automotive enthusiasts. And that gentleman, it was an inspiration for you. Would you spell his last name for our listeners? And we'll also put that up on our show notes page. Yeah, sure. First name is Atori, like Atori Bugatti. Uh, last name is Sotsas, S-O-T-T-S-A-S-S. Okay, great. We'll make sure we put that on the show notes page and. Uh, listeners can go there and, and look him up and, and learn a little bit about something. So that's great that your success goal comes from somebody who's in the creative field like you are. Right, right. Steve, how have you incorporated that quote into your life and your passion for cars? Like I say, it's it's a very fundamental quote that applies very broadly to almost every endeavor in life. And I think from a, a very basic standpoint, I can remember my father and I can hear countless other fathers saying, you know, it's it's just a job. You don't have to love it, just do it, right? And and that is something that I I 
have a tendency to want to rail against because you really, you know, that's like somebody saying she's just a wife. You don't have to love her. You know, you're just going to spend your life with her. It, it absolutely matters that you love what you're doing. If, if you keep focused on that and do your absolute best and don't get sidetracked by, you know, the, the obvious things that are, are going to get in your way, then, you know, you will find success. And encourage that with all of my children, obviously, to, to the extent that I can. Yeah, it is a, a guiding principle in terms of my approach professionally. And if there comes a day when I can look at myself and say, yeah, I, I'm just not loving this, then I know that that's really the time where you need to look in a different direction. Well, good for you. And uh, yeah, I commend you for that because a lot of people just go to a job day in and day out and they might be successful at it, and it might provide them with a good income, but they're not passionate about it. And again, that's what I'm trying to do here with Cars Jazz. Get those people to think a little bit that there is an alternative. And if you love automobiles and you want to go work in that industry in some capacity, there's the ability out there if you just work hard at it and take a stab at it. And in your case, that's what you've done, and that's what all the interviews that I do here. It's about people that had a passion. Steve, can you share with us a story that instigated your passion for cars. Tell us about that pivotal moment that made you an automotive enthusiast. Perhaps that moment when you realized, gosh, I'm, I'm really a car guy. Um, th- I think there are several touch points, I would call, during my youth. As I mentioned, I, I spent the larger portion of my youth in Pasadena, California, and that place at the time was littered with all sorts of car culture, not just Southern California, but Pasadena in particular. And I had the the very lucky circumstance of having discovered a gentleman who was in the process of restoring this wonderful old birdcage framed car in his garage. And I couldn't believe when he had his door open after school. Every day I walked by and see those doors up in the air above the car and see all those wonderful pipes that were visible that constituted the frame. And obviously what I'm talking about is a 300 SL that this guy had up on some blocks or some, some stands as far as I can remember in his garage. And he was undertaking the restoration, you know, basically next to his kitchen, um, something you would never find a 300 SL doing today. But, you know, it was the fascination of, of seeing that, uh, that blend of engineering and art in one piece and absolutely mesmerizing forms and the, the the mechanisms of the doors and the owner taking the time to sort of describe what I was looking at and talk me through things. There's things like that that were really, really exciting and and, you know, in no small way contributed to my passion for cars and, and all things. Well, is, isn't it wonderful when, when an adult takes some time with a child and, and talks to them and show the, shows them things and how formidable that is in your life and how important it becomes, and in your case, a real pivotal moment. Absolutely. You took all those moments and carried them forward, and here you are how many years later talking about that gentleman taking time with you. So right. if you're out there and you're an, an automotive enthusiast, Take some time with a child and, and show them what you're doing. Take them to a car show. Bring them in the garage and, 
and let them see what you're up to because it could really form something in their life moving forward. So that's a great story. It's a great point to make because anytime anyone expresses interest in a car that I'm driving around in or something like that, I, I know instinctively that I need to take the time out. If they're interested in sitting in the car, hearing about the engine or, or just asking questions, I need to, you know, they deserve five or 15 minutes of my time, whatever. It, it, it's someone who was there for me at that pivotal moment, you know, and, and you, you really have to pay it forward, so to speak. Steve, I want to take you to a time now along your journey and go down a road that maybe was a little tough, get under the hood and get our hands a little dirty. I'd like you to share with the listeners a huge challenge, maybe even a big failure in your past that really pushed you to a breaking point. But more importantly, how did you overcome that situation and move past it? And how did you become stronger as a result of it? Well, when I saw this question, I immediately thought that you're referring to the Lehman collapse in 08. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Appearance of my client base. (laughs) No. Well, that might be that might be that moment in time, but yeah, that 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 definitely has presented its challenges and and still does to this day. But I think the probably the the one thing that that was actually um, coincidentally fairly close in that timeline was my being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And I was right in the middle of a commission with some publishers out of England who were creating a series of books. And um, I had been asked to participate as an illustrator for a book called British Racing Green, which in the series of books, each of the the major nationalities were covered in terms of the um, the racing industry. And British Racing Green was all about the 10 most significant British race cars of their time. And I was commissioned to do illustrations of each of the 10 cars. It's, it's very interesting because I actually sort of get nervous when I'm doing illustrations of these cars that I've known all about since childhood and have seen. And it's almost like, um, you know, meeting an actor or spending time with someone whom, whom you've respected for a long, long time. And it, it, you know, that assignment, the time deadlines that I had and the fact that I didn't know what was going on with my body, I couldn't figure out why, at 40, I felt like I was an 80-year-old, and I had trouble getting out of bed, and it hurt to hold pencils and paintbrushes and sit at my drawing desk for hours on end, which, you know, normally before this all took place, I was averaging at least one all-nighter every month, um, if not every week sometimes, to make sure the work got out and I met expectations of my clients. And... Um, yeah, so I was I was diagnosed, and it was a, a relief to know that I wasn't going crazy, and that there was actually maybe a light at the end of the tunnel, and I was able to get on track with some fantastic professionals. And my rheumatologist to this day is is just a phenomenal help in keeping my um, my condition in check and my professional faculties with me but that that really presented a lot of challenges and it it just basically meant altering my diet for a while and 
looking at that assignment in terms of where at what time of the day do I have m- most of my energy and my faculties with me and obviously because of my my corporate job I'm trying to fit this in with a 50 to 60 hour a week commitment outside of the illustration stuff so it was very tiring and we had some unpleasant emails and phone calls to to try and buy time for their publishing deadlines but ultimately got through it and thankfully when I look back on that period it just I I can't believe what I accomplished because the uh, the level of those drawings and the the sort of what I feel the respect I gave them in the work that I created really paid off and and it's a, a beautiful book and I love to occasionally pull it off the shelf and leaf through it. Well, thank you for sharing that very personal story with us. Uh, what a what a challenge to overcome, and I really appreciate you you letting us know that. In fact, I own that book. Oh, great, great! It's fantastic. It's uh, it is a great book, and I'll make sure that I I post that up on the show notes page so that all the listeners can source that and find it. All right. Well, thank you again, Steve, for sharing that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. And if you would share a story when you had a aha moment in your career, a time that when you realized that the idea or concept that you wanted to work in the automotive industry and the creative industry as a designer occurred to you and you realized, wow, I can really make a, a livelihood at this and, and do what I'm really passionate about. So could you take us through those steps? Yeah, sure. Well, there, there's. It's actually. Uh, it would be more of a two-part answer in that um, I would approach it one from the standpoint of how I got to being a car designer, and that was, you know, again dating back to my. Uh, I believe it was the summer between fifth and sixth grade when I was one of a a pair of students that were selected from each of the elementary schools in Pasadena for a, a sort of advanced art summer course that they were going to put together and the instructors from the different schools would teach us, um, a very small group of students, maybe a dozen, who were selected for this program. And um, we had this great summer school of one-on-one instructive art. And one of these days, they took us up to Art Center in Pasadena to visit the school and at that point, I just liked art. I liked drawing anything, and I loved cars, and I'd draw cars, but really didn't know that there was a connection there. Well, I walked into the transportation studio of Art Center as sort of the first stop along our tour, immediately told my instructors that they could come back and get me at the end of the tour because I wasn't (laughs) interested in seeing anything else. And uh, from that point on, as a a kid, geez, I must have been 11 or 12 years old, I I knew at that moment that I had found it and I wasn't going to leave or let go of this thing until I gave it my best. So that was, you know, basically what got me to that school, got me off on the career and everything. And um, I started my career with Volkswagen and had the the very fortunate circumstance of working alongside a gentleman named Freeman Thomas, who to your listeners is probably um, one of the names that they've heard in the automotive design industry. Freeman's responsible for the Audi TT, of course. Um, He's now director of advanced for Ford um, and located here in Southern California. 
Freeman, in addition to his exploits in the industry, has also uh, found time to be one of the original founders of the R Group. Freeman was the guy who sort of um, nurtured my appreciation of the Porsche mark. In one of our conversations at the studio, Freeman had brought in an old blueprint of the 911 that he was given when he left Porsche. Freeman spent time with Porsche before joining the Volkswagen Group. And so Freeman said uh, he'd like me to have a copy of this blueprint. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. You get to see all the measurements, the dimensions, you know, the ramp angles, all that stuff. And then I thought, wait a minute, there is a great opportunity here. I've already got my line drawing and, you know, the palette of colors. I'm going to pick somebody's car and I'm just going to render it out and see how this thing looks. That basically was history. I did it, you know, obviously had all the skills to draw cars. So it it looked pretty cool and showed it around to people in the Porsche Club of America in the Santa Barbara region. And it, that was the aha of, hey, you know, you got to do this one for my car. And then the other guy kind of bumped him and said, no, 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 I'm first. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, this guy's going to work on my car first. And then, well, you know, my birthday is coming up. So it, from that point on, it's it's really kind of snowballed and, and blossomed into its own endeavor. Yeah. Sure. Well, how lucky are you to have two brilliant aha moments and, and to get to work with Freeman? He's he's so famous in the automotive industry. Would you explain real briefly to our listeners about the R Group? Yeah, the R Group was founded, I actually was Freeman's sounding board for a little while in the studio, and, and he and a gentleman named Chris Huergas uh, were just absolutely bonkers mad about the early sports racing program that um, Porsche initiated with its client customer base. Some of it was factory and a lot of it, you know, they they basically had manuals where you could go in and spec out, you know, basically almost a 911R. And so we got a hold of a couple of those original manuals and ran down to Kinko's and (laughs) made some copies and started, you know, hashing through what we do to our own cars and things like that. And then it, it just sort of blossomed into what Freeman aptly called or Freeman and and Chris came up with the R group. Um, And R group is all about sort of the hot rod experience using the early 911 as a basis. And it, it, it has grown to include basically all 911s. And I would imagine it probably includes Panameras and, and, and Cayennes at this point as well. But uh, it started with early 911s and equipping them in a manner that was in keeping with the spirit of the original factory philosophy of lightweighting the cars and basically doing nothing that would take away from the authenticity or the reliability or the competitive nature of the cars, but really heighten the driving experience. And that's what our group was all about. It's a uh, It's a great, fun group of people for sure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Steve, what was your first car? And could you share a little bit about some of the adventures and fun you might have had with that? Maybe modifications, memories, whatever. My first, what I call way to get around, was a Volkswagen Rabbit. I beat the living crap out of that car all the way through college. 
but I don't really call it a car because it was a way to get around. It was a, a piece of transportation equipment that protected me and made sure I got all my work to school and back and got me through school. My first real car was one that I, you know, obviously saved and looked for and ultimately set my sights on. It was a 1980 Porsche 911 SC. This particular car was a Vysok edition, which was, is kind of a, a really unique piece that got the, it sort of was the formalization of the Sonderwunsch program in Vysok. And they, they started off with this edition of limited run cars. And this one was named after the development center outside of Stuttgart in Vysok, Germany. My first convertible was an 84 Vysok 911 Carrera. I'm familiar with those cars, yeah. I really enjoyed that car, but when I moved to the Pacific Northwest, I had to let it go because it was it's the only car I could afford as my daily driver, and the top leaked like crazy when it rained. And so I left Southern California, where it was sunny every day, to rainy Pacific Northwest, where it rained every day. So I had to opt for a 911 Coupe instead of that Cabriolet. Are there any cars that you've sold in your past that you, you wish you still had and had some seller's remorse about? Um. Yeah, in thinking about that question, I, I I would definitely say that I absolutely have fond memories of all of them, and wish I could have kept cars. But I'm also a father of five. I live in a pretty expensive corner of the United States, and I I just don't have the time and the means to go after an array of cars. So I've I've been able to enjoy basically one car at a time, which is manageable for me because it allows to allows me to, to really get into it, um, discover what the car's about and enjoy it. And then as I tire of it, I, I move on to something else. In hindsight, you know, I, I would say that I, I miss them all. I have fond memories of the activities, the, the learnings, the, the heartaches, everything about each one that, that came along the way. So my litmus test was kind of which one do I take the most ribbing for getting rid of from my buddies who also love cars. And that would have to be my 1975 Lamborghini Countach LP400. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I, I was the well, archetypal um, baby of the 80s with an Alpine Countach poster on my wall in high school. And eventually I was able to save up thankfully before the cars were really discovered by the wider collector community and, and got a car. And <clears throat> now I have wonderful memories and some great photographs and things like that. But yeah, that's definitely the one that I, I wish were still sitting in my garage. Oh, I'm sorry I brought back that memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great memory. The car, as your, your viewers may know or your listeners may know, the it was created by Marcello Gandini, and for me, it really epitomizes the art of automotive design and the Giampaolo Dallara, or uh, sorry, Giampaolo Dallara chassis. And this, for me, this car sort of marked a turning of the tide when the modern supercar really arrived. I don't think. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, the Mira was more significant. But the Mira, when you look at the Mira, it is a mid-engine, but it doesn't look like a mid-engine car. It, it still looks like the, the Ferraris of your with the motor up front. 
a bit of dash to axle and then the cabin. And the way they achieve that, obviously, is putting the V12 motor in a transverse configuration. The Countach was the one where they truly said, okay, this car is going to be race car technology. We're going to put the driver up between the wheels if that's what has to happen to fit that motor where it actually wants to be for the absolute best weight distribution of the car. The The job that Gandini did in styling that car is is so sublime and so subtle. Many people think, oh, it's just brash and it's just a bunch of flat planes nailed together. But the next time you see an LP400, specifically that car without the flared fenders and the wings and the DOT bumpers, that car is so absolutely sublime, the curvature and the way that it sits on its really, you know, tiny 14-inch wheels with 70-series Michelins. Uh, it's astounding. To me, it's every bit as beautiful as an E-Type. I had that same poster. Even though I'm a little older than you, <laughs> I still had that same poster. So, Oh, yeah. It, that, it was a classic. It is a classic. Steve, what is your favorite way to spend time with cars? Is it uh, driving, wrenching on them, detailing? Well, I I would say all of the above because of the the previously mentioned demands on my time with the children and career and business and all that stuff. I I've really taken a liking to the the car that currently sits in the garage because it it it's a an an old Rolls-Royce Corniche, and um, even though it's, it's getting on in years, it, it's sort of, it is a hand-built car, so I've, I've really come to appreciate the, the art of coach building, albeit from a little bit more modern perspective, I suppose, um, but also the, the joys of touring, and it, it's something that wasn't, you, you did not enjoy touring in a Countach. The Countach was a glass coffin comparatively. And this, this you put the top down and you, you don't go for speed. You enjoy the scenery around you and you enjoy the ride. And um, yeah, it's so lately it's been kind of touring and, and uh, owner-related activities and the, the Rolls-Royce Owners Club. It seems like every time I do get a car, I tend to get involved in the owners' clubs, and um, I probably more naturally gravitate towards the Concours type of events. I have tracked Porsches and BMWs, but ultimately you just end up spending a lot of money on tires and clutches and brakes and things like that, and I, I, I'd rather spend a little bit more time driving and maybe polishing and enjoying the cars than wrenching on them. Well, that's quite a stretch from a Countach to a Rolls-Royce Corniche. You really are an eclectic fan of automobiles. That's wonderful. All right, Steve, we're now getting up to what I call the last lap. It's one of my favorite parts of our talk. And this is where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? <laughs> uh, automotive or business advice, I would say it came from a fellow entrepreneur and friend of mine named Eric Noble, who is the founder and president of a consulting firm called CarLab. And Eric one day said something that is stuck in my brain forever. And he said, basically, you can sleep when you're dead, Steve. <laughs> That's... <laughs> For for any entrepreneur or somebody who's trying to you know make a go of it on their own, um, yeah, the reality is is it's a lot of work and 
much of it goes without thanks, but um, yeah, you, ultimately when they put you six feet under, you can have a good rest. <laughs> there you go. I think I need to give him a call and get him on this show. <laughs> I'll get his phone number from you. Steve, can you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Yeah, um, it relates back to that quote I just said. Um, I think if if I could qualify it as success, what I've achieved so far in life um, is because of my willingness to work harder, longer, and hopefully smarter than most. And I think that that's a mark of any good entrepreneur is just, yeah, you have to absolutely stick with a great idea and believe in it and stay up at night nurturing it because it, it isn't just going to fall in your lap. That's great advice. That uh, was the same advice my father gave me. He said, you may not be as smart as the guy next to you, but you can outwork him. Exactly. I think yep. that came from his uh, growing up on a farm when you're basically working 24-7. So, Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners that you really really enjoy? Maybe a website that you visit or... Well, um, as far as the the websites that I go to, I, I absolutely love one called Bring a Trailer. Randy's site, yeah, that's great. That's just fantastic because I, they have a wonderful uh, appreciation of cars and there's stuff that I learn there every day because of the, the responses and, and the wonderful photographs and everything. So that one's fun, not even being in the market to find a car. You know, maybe serendipity will grab me someday. But for now, it's, it's just a great resource to learn about things that matter to other people. Um, there's a great site called Petrolicious. Wonderful videos on Petrolicious. Right, right. The um, the the sort of industry tools, if you will, for me are Jalopnik and Truth About Cars. You know, there's there's really good stuff there. And then, sort of on the periphery, two sites that I really love is one is Metacool, m e t a c o o l dot com, and then uh, Ted. Um, the technology education and design or entertainment and design website. Um, you see a lot of the TED Talks on TV and you hear them on NPR and things like that. It's fantastic, you know, the, the resource that Chris Anderson provides. Those are great resources, and I'll make sure we get those up on your show notes page so everybody can find links to those. Is there a book that you've recently enjoyed reading that you could share with our listeners? Um, yeah, I actually haven't read it recently. I've read it a couple of times, and I realized in, in thinking through uh, speaking with you that I, I need to read it again. Uh, the book is called The Candy-Colored Tangerine Flake Streamline Baby by Tom Wolfe, and it, it is an absolute tomb um, written back in the 60s and sort of um, beatnik era journalism little bit of Hunter Thompson mixed in with Dan Gurney. He just goes in some wild directions, and his recounts of car culture are phenomenal. I, I, it's, it's a neat place to go, especially when, when we have showrooms full of such you know, commoditized compromise, as I like to say. I believe that Tom also wrote The Pump House Gang, which was a book about surfing. I grew up in Southern California, surfing yeah. land and sea, and and uh, yeah, he's he's a, a very fun writer. So we'll make sure we, we post that in your notes page as well. So those Absolutely. are great. <laughs> That's yeah. great. All right, Steve, we're up to the checkered flag. 
And this is a question that can sometimes be a great challenge for people. Maybe not. We'll see. But I like to call it a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, something that you couldn't sell to buy other cars, what would it be? And most importantly, why? That one is a very easy one. And I haven't checked the box yet, but I hope some way I will. But the answer would be any what I call a Torre era Bugatti. So obviously the, the Molsheim cars are what I'm talking about. And why would I want that? I, Bugatti for me is the pinnacle of the, a combination of artfulness, originality, and innovation. I mean, a Torre Bugatti was sort of like the automotive Steve Jobs of his day. When you look at the context in which those cars that he created were were made and the the limitations of technology and manufacturing they're absolutely astounding the the mechanical innovation the craftsmanship i could go on and on but um it, yeah it's it's they're amazing cars and and obviously born of a family of artists who created wonderful furniture and airplanes and architecture that factory designs and the the tools that they designed just to to build their cars are phenomenal and um, I'm lucky enough to live somewhat close to the Mullen Museum here in Southern California and any opportunity I have to go and just sort of bask in that environment and and to see and appreciate those cars is I jump at the chance. Very, very good choice. Have you been to the museum in France, the Bugatti Museum? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's a dream come true. was able to drag my whole family over there. They couldn't understand why I wanted to leave the Black Forest of Germany, and I thought, you guys haven't seen this one yet. <laughs> we all need to be there. So, yeah. That is an amazing museum. I had the, the pleasure of being there as well, so fun place. It is, yeah. Well, listen, Steve, it's been really a great ride with you today. And I've really enjoyed your stories. I had a feeling this this interview would go a little long because of my passion for design as well. So I want to thank you for sharing your journey. And if you could maybe give our listeners one brief parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset, and then let them know what's the best way for them to find out about your business. Okay. The one parting thing that I would say that applies, you know, I, I try and live as much by that, that Atori Satsas quote as, as much as this one, but just um, occasionally leaf through this book called Poor Charlie's Almanac, and it, it's sort of a um, biography of sorts of Charlie Munger, who is the, the, the partner of Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway. He had created this graduation speech, I think maybe for the business school at USC. It was one line just stuck with me. He said, the best way to ensure a miserable life is to be unreliable. And, you know, that, like the Satsas quote, applies so broadly, but especially in business. Yeah, if you don't, at the very base of everything, have reliability, whether it be in the cars we create or the relationships we nurture, the the client deliverables, things like that, you don't have anything. Reminds me of that line, again, something my father told me when it comes to a career or job, just show up. 
that's that's being reliable, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. what's the best way for folks to find out about uh, you? My website is sale illustrations my initials sa and the word illustrations.com all of my contact info is on there and always happy to to chat with people whether you're interested in commissioning a piece or just talking about some of this stuff we just went over i'm always happy to have a chat with a fellow enthusiast and and um, you know business entrepreneur because there's there's so much we can learn from each other and and it is a fairly small world we operate in so um, more the merrier you can find all the links to everything we've talked about today at carsyad.com slash steve anderson just go to carsyad.com put steve in the search bar and his show notes page will pop up with all these references steve thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners until we talk again we'll see you down the road mark this has been fantastic thank you very much you're welcome Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.